And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the second best day of the week. That's right, it's Thursday for The Real Investment Show. That also means Michael Leibowitz joins me this morning with more blah, blah, blah on the Fed. But we'll get into that a little bit later on this morning. Uh, but uh, a couple of things yesterday. Um, so the markets here, we talked about this uh, about two weeks ago. So coming into the month of February, we had talked about reducing our exposure in portfolios because we had triggered this MACD sell signal. Um, also, our money flow sell signal had also triggered to a sell. And we suggested that, hey, reduce some risk here. The markets are going to either consolidate or correct a bit. Well, that's what's been going on. Uh, yesterday morning, we said, hey, the markets are going to open up a little bit stronger this morning. Don't be surprised if we sell off by the end of the day. That's what happened. Markets closed right on that 50-day moving average. So we're now down. So we've been talking about this kind of cluster of support in the markets because, again, from a bullish perspective, there are some good things that are going on. And, and you know, despite the economic news headlines and the Fed headlines, uh, the inflation headlines, there's actually some decent technical structures uh, still improving in the markets, right? So, you know, the 50-day moving average is rising. That's good. That means over the last 50 days that prices have been higher. So the 50-day moving average has gone from a negative slope to a positive slope. That's positive. We also broke above that resistance at the 50 and the 200-day moving average, which is now crossed over as well. So the 50-day is now above the 200-day. That's that technical golden cross that suggests that markets are in a little bit more bullish trend. So the point here is markets have pulled back. We're sitting right on that support. Now this morning, again, we're looking to open higher. So markets are looking to open up. Dow's up about 100 points this morning. Uh, S&P's up 19. I'm looking at the screen right now to give you the actual numbers. Um, and then and, and the Nasdaq's also pointing higher as well. And this is also part of back of economic uh, earnings news last night. NVIDIA coming out, uh, beating earnings estimates as well as sales, really talking about the fact that you know they're in the good position for AI technology and they're going to be accelerating their advancements in the AI space. So again, this is a company that we own. We love this company. Uh, we need to pull back to buy some more of it. But uh, you know, this has just been a, a really good performer really ever since the October lows. It's up about 100% from the lows already. So um, this has moved very quickly. But that's going to kind of help give a lift to the, to the technology sector this morning. But it's a very interesting story in tech, right? In semiconductors, not all companies are the same. Intel is cutting their dividend by 65% today as well. So, you know, two, two companies that both make semiconductors could not be two very different outcomes for companies. So this is why it's always a challenge for investors to pick stocks. And sometimes just because a value company looks to be a value doesn't mean it necessarily is. And just because a company may seem expensive doesn't mean it necessarily is either based on where they're growing and, and how those things are working. So this is kind of the interesting thing that's happening in the markets right now. Um, but nonetheless, that sell signal still say, stays in place for the moment. Um, as we said yesterday, you know, this kind of 4,000 level that we're sitting on right now is very important support. We need to hold on to that. So again, this little bounce today, that's going to be good if we can hold on to it. That'll be good news. If we could just kind of consolidate here along these support lines over the course of the next week or so, work off this overbought condition, 
get the sell signal down into an area where it can turn positive again, that will give us a decent entry point to add some exposure to portfolios. But again, we're not there just yet, but you know, this is, this is part of that process that markets go through and markets can, can just can consolidate sideways for a bit. They don't necessarily have to have a big correction, but right now, importantly, this kind of rising trend line that we had from those October lows, this all intersects right where the market's sitting. So again, there's really, this is really critical support, but markets hold today and tomorrow. We finish out this week holding these support lines. If we begin to break the support, we're going to retest these lows from October. And again, that's going to put a very different tenor in the markets. Now, you know, one thing we'll talk about this morning with, between Mike and I, is you know this issue of, of Fed policy because the latest Fed minutes currently showing the Fed is is continuing to be aggressive here, talking about hiking rates more. Uh, we just noted earlier this week in our commentary as well as last week's newsletter that you know the the Federal Reserve uh, James Bullard who was out on CNBC yesterday as well as Loretta Meister and others talking about the need. Hey, you know what we may need to hike 50 basis points, right? So. Obviously, higher monetary policy, tighter monetary policy, higher rates, that's going to impact equities and markets, again, because it's that discount rate of future cash flows. But it's also the impact to the economy and ultimately earnings as those rates go up. And as we've talked about before, you know, there's this big lag effect that's nine to 12 months. And I was having lunch with a couple of our clients yesterday and we were talking about this and it's interesting we all sat around the table we all made bets so now we've got bets on where the market ends where the market low is where the the fed funds rate high are and where the the peak and 10-year treasury rates are but the interesting conversation is is that when you start thinking about that lag effect so if you say there's 12 months to a lag effect in other words when they the fed hikes interest rates by the time it works its way through the economy gets to credit cards, gets into the consumer household, starts impacting budgets, that's about 12 months. Well, think about that. The Fed has hiked 475 basis points since March of last year. This is February. So technically, if it's a 12-month lag, the first rate hike won't even take effect until next month. So again, this is the problem is that the Fed is hiking rates and we have this kind of this idea of stronger than expected economic growth right now. Uh, this morning is a good example. We'll have the second estimate of GDP for the fourth quarter. So that was a positive quarter, right? So, so we've got two positive growth quarters in the economy. And so everybody's going, hey, wait, no recession. Everything's fine. The yield curve clearly very negative here, which suggests that there is economic problems. And we'll talk a little bit about this morning. It's also going to be the subject of the newsletter this weekend about understanding what yield curves are and what, they, and what they're actually telling you. But, you know, when you start thinking about that lag effect of monetary policy on the economy, we may be in kind of the eye of the storm. If you think about this for a moment, it's like the Fed's hiking rates. That was, the, that, was that, that initial storm last year. And, you know, if you've ever been through a hurricane, you know, you get hit by the front side of the hurricane. Then there's this lull as you go through the eye of the hurricane and then you get the next, you get the backside of the hurricane. And so if you've ever lived through one, it's a terrible thing. But that's kind of where we are. We had this initial impact to the markets and the economy last year as the Fed started hiking rates and there was this immediate reversal of attitudes as liquidity was being extrapolated out. Now we're kind of in that lull stage where the impact of those rate hikes hasn't hit yet, economic growth is okay, and everybody's going, hey, you know what? No recession. Everything's gonna be fine. 
Look at economic growth last quarter. The problem is, is that's all very lagging data that hasn't caught up. And more important, that lagging data has not been impacted yet by all those rate hikes. So the, the risk is, and again, I'm not saying this is the case, but this is the risk of the markets right here is that we haven't seen the impact of those rate hikes and we haven't seen that impact into economic growth, which ultimately relates to earnings. Economic growth is where earnings come from. So if markets are gonna to continue to advance and they haven't priced in a further earnings decline already, that's the risk to investors. So this is why we've gotta be, be a little bit careful as Mike and I have talked about before. This is gonna be a year of the audible, right? So as these, this is why we continue to focus on our technicals. We tend to watch the, the price action of the market is telling us what markets are thinking. Again, can't stress enough, markets are okay right now. Nothing wrong with the markets but pay attention to where we are right now because that could change very rapidly over the course of the next month. Anyway, we'll come back. Got a lot of stuff to get into this morning with Michael Leibowitz. We're talking about gold, the Fed, the markets, lots of stuff. Hang around, more of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. Make sure and get to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Subscribe to our Before the Bell as well as our newsletter, daily market commentary. It's all there for you, it's all free. realinvestmentadvice.com, be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors, too. But raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you. Our next RIA Lunch and Learn will dwell upon this topic because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets. Join Ratliff and Rosso February 23rd for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. It's uh, 6.17 on this uh, Thursday as we get into the, the uh, still a holiday short week. It's just, you know, it's been a long week already. I'll tell you. Um, today we have uh, economically, we have the uh, Chicago Fed Economic Activity Index. This is probably one of the most underrated economic indicators that's out there doesn't get a lot of attention on the press doesn't really get a lot of attention by the media or financial analysts etc but this index is very important it has a very high correlation to economic activity it has a very good leading effect on economic outcomes um, it's comprised of over 80 different subcomponents that cover everything from manufacturing to service. It's, it's a very broad measure of national economic activity, both leading, lagging, manufacturing, and service. So, you know, this is, you know, pay attention to that, that data because a lot of people dismiss it, but, and I've written articles about the importance of this one indicator before. I may have to go revive one, um, put it up on our site for you, but you know, this is just something that you, one, this is one of those indicators that doesn't get a lot of notice. It's kind of like the National Federation of Independent Business Surveys. Very, that, that indicator also is 
very good at predicting recessions and economic downturns, as well as growth cycles as well, uh, so on both sides. Um, but neither one of those indicators get a whole lot of press time as compared to, say, like the GDP report or the, or the BLS employment report, those type of things. Those get a lot more press time and, and are, are some of the worst indicators <laughs> to tell you uh, about what's happening in the economy. So pay attention to that today. We also have, the, as I said, we have the second update. This is the, the second estimate for GDP for the fourth quarter. So we'll get that out today. It's estimated to come in on a quarter over quarter basis at 2.9%. That was in line with what was the prior, so no change there. Personal consumption, of course, which makes up 70% of GDP, um, that's expected to come in at 2% versus 2.1% prior. So a little bit weaker on the personal consumption expenditure side. And then of course the price index, that's gonna be what the Fed is also looking at in terms of inflation. And that's expected to come in at three and a half percent. And and again, this is going to be that, you know, kind of concern potentially. If that number comes in higher than three point five, let's say it comes at three point seven, three point eight, that's going to be a bit more of a concern for the markets today. So again, this early kind of strength in the markets we have this morning, which is not that great, right? We're up a hundred points on the Dow. It's not huge, um, but that could fade very quickly based on this economic data. So you know. Kind of just keep a watch on what's going on here. Um, all right. Also, a day we got just a, another huge barrage of earnings. We're getting close to the end of earnings season, uh, but we're in that last kind of phases. NVIDIA last night, of course, beating earnings. As I said, this morning stocks up. But today we got Alibaba, Autodesk, Beyond Meat. Uh, nobody buys Beyond Meat, so expect bad earnings there. Um, <laughs> the former Square, now called Block. Uh, don't know why they just don't change their name to Circle. Um, booking holdings, cars.com, Carvana. Uh, Cube, uh, Carvana, of course, is on the verge of bankruptcy, so that'll be an interesting uh, report to look at. Dillard's a good report on economics uh, from the consumer and how the consumer spending goes. Of course, Domino's as well. Domino's is actually a very interesting company to watch from an economic standpoint. If people stop ordering pizza, tells you a lot what's going on. All right. That's kind of what's coming up this morning. Michael Leibowitz, welcome to the show this morning. A few things to uh, talk about, uh, you know, last week in particular, and we talked about this in our newsletter as well as in our Tuesday report on the website, uh, both James Bullard, who was on CNBC yesterday, as well as Loretta Meister talking about higher for longer in terms of rates. In fact, James Bullard saying, hey, don't be surprised if we accidentally, you know, slip, fall, and hike rates by 50% or 50 basis points you know, uh, at the next meeting in March, you know, that's, you know, the markets certainly aren't pricing that in. And, you know, and again, they kind of just keep ignoring what the Fed's saying, hoping that maybe the Fed's bluffing, I guess. Well, you know, so yesterday was the Fed minutes and about three weeks after the Fed meeting, they released the minutes. And, you know, like most meetings, you would think the minutes would just tell you what happened, the transcript from the actual meeting, but these are actually revised afterwards. So you get a much more up-to-date, uh, you know, three weeks isn't that much time, but you get a little more of an up-to-date view on what the Fed thinks. And yesterday was, there was zero surprises in it. And a lot of that is because like you said, Lance Bullard and Meister uh, kind of leaked it all. Uh, what was that, late last week? Mm -hmm. Both of them said they, they, they would have voted for 50, uh, I don't think either one's a voting member right now, but, you know, they sit in those meetings and they have a voice and both of them would have thought about going 50 basis points. They talked about higher for longer. 
Um, the, the one takeaway, and we've heard other Fed members talk about this, so it's not necessarily new, but the one takeaway for me was that they're kind of dancing around the issue of financial conditions. And the easier financial conditions are, the more they have to do. And it's kind of a veiled threat to the market. Financial conditions are a lot of things, but part of it is just stock prices. And the Fed has been very clear about this going all the way back to Bernanke almost 20 years ago, that stock, the direction of stock prices has a big effect on the economy, whether it's sentiment, actual money in people's pockets, whatever it is, they believe that the stock market can have a big effect on the economy. So when they see the stock market rally like it's done for the last uh, few months, it concerns them that, them that everything they're doing to put out the inflation fire, the stock market is kind of stoking the fire in a corner. Um, and, and, so, and let, me, let me stop you right there, because this is something that I think is an important point. You know, and this is something that Ben Bernanke said back in 2010. You know, when you start talking about asset prices, you're going, well, how does rising asset prices, you know, create problems for the Fed? Well, back in 2010, Ben Bernanke, when we did Q, when we initially launched QE2, which was the second round of quantitative easing just following the financial crisis, Ben Bernanke uh, stated that the reason that we're doing quantitative easing, the second version of this, is to help boost asset prices, which will boost consumer confidence, which will help economic growth. And so the, the correlation of what Mike is saying, this is why this is an important point, it kind of gets glossed over a lot about rising asset prices, eases financial conditions, and that's a problem for the Fed. It says as asset prices rise, people look at their 401k plan, they're going, hey, I've got more money in the bank. You know, they look at their investment accounts that, you know, 50000 whatever it is, but it's going up. And so they feel like they have more money to spend. And so they'll go out and go ahead and make a purchase. When asset prices are declining, people are getting kind of hit from all angles, right? You know, you've got, you've got, you're, you're, you're trying to make ends meet at home and you're watching your asset balances has dropped. And so you start to contract spending and that, that helps slow economic growth. So the problem for rising asset prices for the Fed, as Mike is saying, and I just wanted to highlight this point because it's important, is that rising asset prices eases financial conditions, which gets consumers to go buy stuff in the markets, which creates economic growth, but that also supplements inflation. And so that's that's the problem with rising asset prices. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. And here's the here's the other thing. It doesn't matter whether you believe that to be true. It doesn't matter whether Lance or I believe it to be true. The Fed has said it so many times that they believe it to be true. And they will keep interest rates higher for longer, in part. There's a lot of factors based on the stock market. So you know, the message to me is that until inflation is really heading down towards 2%, and last month's CPI, PPI data has it sort of stalling, kind of mm -hmm. stalling out. So until it really heads down, the Fed is basically telling you they're going to keep a lid on the stock market. They, they, don't, they can't sell stocks. They're not going to keep a lid on it, but they're going to use rhetoric and narrative to keep pressure on the stock market. And you're going to hear comments like, we're going to do 50. We're going to keep going. We're going to go in June. You know, and if we're in June and the stock market is higher than it is today and inflation really hasn't come down, they're going to be talking about 6% Fed funds and going in September and November. And, you know, inevitably the Fed, the Fed will win this battle because the stock market will have to listen because every day that's that 
that uh, goes forward here, Treasury bill yields are rising. So the alternative to stocks, which is 100% risk-free safety, has a good yield. And tomorrow that yield will be slightly better. And if the Fed's going to keep going at the rate they're going, at what point do, you know, every day there's marginal investors that are saying, you know what, screw this. I don't need to be 80% stocks and 20% bonds. I'm going to sell 20% of my stocks and go to 60% and just buy some treasury bills yielding 5% now. Yep. Why and, take risk? Well, that, and that's a great point. And, and, and let's go. And again, you know, this is one of those lessons that, you know, many people have forgotten. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk about why the Fed dropped rates to zero following the financial crisis, because it feeds right into exactly the point you're talking about, which is the displacement of capital and where investors are willing to keep money versus putting it at risk. And so stick around because we got a lot more to get into this morning, but this is all, you know, has a, has a big impact potentially to where markets go through the end of this year and into next year in particular, particularly if Mike is right and the Fed keeps hiking rates, the question becomes where to allocate capital and what that means. So we'll come back and talk about why the Fed did what they did previously and why that's a problem potentially for investors today and how the Fed is currently positioned. Make sure you get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure that you subscribe, <clears throat> make sure you subscribe to our new Before the Bell channel. That's where we have our three minutes on markets and money now every day. We'll keep you updated, and, and every time we post, we'll let you know. Also, subscribe to this channel. We appreciate it. Click that little bell icon as well. And make sure you subscribe to our website for our weekly newsletter, um, as well as our daily market commentary. Lots of stuff to keep you all updated. It's all free at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com we teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors too but raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you our next ria lunch and learn will dwell upon this topic because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets Join Ratliff and Rosso, February 23rd, for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Yes, please. Tune in to our Lunch and Learn today on how to raise money smart kids. It's going to be an excellent presentation on raising money smart kids. But more importantly, please tune in so that they will quit playing that limerick. I hate limericks. And that commercial has been driving me crazy for a month now. So please, today at noon, do me a favor, tune in. Go to the website, click on the link at the top of the page to... Subscribe to the Money Smart Kids Seminar. Learn how to raise money smart kids. Help them out and, and, and save a host from a limerick. 
All right, let's get back to work. Um, so, okay, just for the break, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, the Fed, of course, hiking interest rates and, 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 of course, tightening monetary policy. Monetary conditions, as Mike was saying, very important. Market's been ignoring the tightness of monetary conditions. And, and what's interesting is, is that the market has also been, and, uh, sorry, sorry, let me rephrase that. What's also interesting is the Fed, who last year was very focused on financial conditions. In fact, just, just at the Jackson Hole Summit, like 15 minutes before he was, uh, Jerome Powell was slated to give a speech, he scraps his whole speech, writes a whole new one to basically directly focus on financial conditions, smacks the markets down, does it again in December. Now, all of a sudden, they came out in, in uh, February and said, oh, we're not really that concerned about financial conditions short term. And then that's what's been helping the markets run as of late. The problem is, is that financial conditions have a lot to do with everything. And so, as I said, you know, we have to go back to 2009. And remember, and I, I know a lot of investors today weren't around back in 2009, but trust old guys like me and Mike, we've been through this before. But, you know, if you go back and look at 2009, why did the Fed drop rates to zero? This is an important point. Well, remember back in the financial crisis, basically we had an economic shutdown. Um, or we didn't just you know tell people to stay home. I mean, we pretty much crashed the economy because of subprime mortgage debt, the housing crisis, the whole nine yards. Um, of course, the the big issue was the bankruptcy of Lehman, and when they forced Lehman to bankruptcy, that just basically froze the credit markets. And credit, it's not the stock market, ladies and gentlemen. The bond market's like four times the size of the stock market. Credit is the lifeblood of the economy. And when you shut down and force a company like Lehman into bankruptcy, which had tentacles into just basically every financial firm in the world, and it's the same thing. Goldman Sachs does too, Bank of America, JP Morgan. They're all interlinked. And they all trade with each other. Well, when you force Lehman into bankruptcy, everybody said, who's next? I'm not trading with anybody. And that just froze the whole market. So now we've got this, we've got a real economic problem. And so the Fed drops rates to zero. Now, the reason the Fed dropped rates to zero is that it forces money out of savings, right? So now, what has been the argument for investors over the last 10 years? I can't get any money on my savings account at zero, so I have to do something with it. I've got to put it, I'm either going to go spend it or I'm going to invest it into the stock market or the bond market or something, but I'm going to move that capital to somewhere else for a higher yield. And this is the important point that Mike brought up a second ago, is that there is now an alternative to zero, and that is cash. And so if you take a look at, there's a lot of articles out as of late saying, oh, there's this tremendous amount of money on the sidelines. It's all going to come back into the markets. That's not necessarily true. First of all, you know, the top 10% of income earners own the majority of that cash. We already know from the studies 80% of Americans can't save $500 for an emergency, so they are not in that bucket of money sitting over there uh, in, in bank accounts. But if I'm getting 5% on my money market fund, and if the average return historically for stocks is 6 or 7% with risk, why take, like to Mike's point, why take the risk? So one of the big challenges for the stock market over the course of the next several years, and this depends on how long the Fed keeps interest rates at 5% or more, is the, the, that, that capital sitting on the sidelines isn't necessarily coming back into stocks. 
Now, we're getting a lot of speculative fervor here since the beginning of the year. A lot of retail traders jumping back into the most beaten up trash stocks. In fact, Yahoo Finance this morning uh, talking specifically about this, saying, you know, this has been the rally of trash. <laughs> so, you know, Carvana, Carvana, which is virtually bankrupt, is up 100% from its lows, uh, along with AMC and others. Uh, we've seen a big, big rush back into these companies that are down 60, 70, 80%. In fact, you know, a lot of these companies are up 100% from their lows and they're still down 80% from last year, just to kind of give you perspective. So, you know, these are the things, uh, you know, to think about. But, you know, this, this point, Mike, um, about alternatives, I think is a very critically overlooked point of stock market bulls right now expecting this massive return of cash back into equities. Right. And the, the example of using 5%, because that's what a one-year Treasury bill yields, is a little simple. There's corporate bonds out there in companies that will be around in five or 10 years that are yielding five and a half, five and three quarters percent. So now you can take a little more risk. It's not risk free, but it's pretty close. And now you're starting to approximate what equities yield over the long run. To, to further complicate this a little bit, well, let's just look at stocks. Stocks yield, stocks average return seven, eight percent a year. But what you have to focus in is what's the price for stocks at each point in time? Because some years they yield, the return is 2%. Sometimes it's 20%. Sometimes it's minus 20%. And a lot of that has to do with the price. And it's not the price. It's not whether the S&P is at 4,100 or 4,050 or 3,200. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the valuation. So how much are you paying for earnings? What are margins? And in um, was it yesterday's commentary or today's commentary, we talk about valuations and margins. Both are still historically, margins are at historical highs. So corporate profit margins, basically transforming revenue to earnings, the ratio, how, many, how much earnings they can get out of revenue, is still at a high after it, it jumped up during a pandemic and it's still at a high so in all likelihood that comes down meaning that earnings are going to have to suffer unless revenue can sh jump higher mm -hmm. second is valuations how much are you paying for for those earnings that too is at a very high level if that reverts to normal that's more pressure on stocks so it doesn't mean that either one will revert to normal, and it doesn't mean that they can't both go higher. But historically, the odds are that margins and valuations shrink, meaning that you take your average return now of 7 or 8%, and you put in the risk of those shrinking, and now you're, you know, if you do some probability math, you know what, maybe a 4 or 5% returns in equities is even being optimistic. Mm -hmm. So you can lock in, you know, a 10-year bond, a treasury bond at 4%, you can lock in a treasury corporate bond for a company that will be here, very well-known companies at closer to 5%. Every day, investors, uh, you know, institutional investors are always thinking of that. And every day, there's more and more retail investors that are starting to say, what am I doing here? Why don't I just lock in 4, 5, 6% and call it a day? Why take the risk that, that history proves correct once again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so and, yeah, and, I th and, but, and and that's you know that has a lot of broad ramifications as well. And 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 again, 
you know, there's a lot of expectation that this money on the sidelines is going to come flooding back into the markets. But to your point, why? And that's not necessarily the case. Right, right. And again, there is really not much money on the sidelines. There's there's a finite pool of stocks and bonds and, uh, you know, a lot of investment dollars go back and forth between the two. Now, there is new money entering the market via 401ks and there's money leaving, you know, in theory, leaving markets. But in general, there's a finite pool of assets. And for the price of bonds to rise, something has to fall assuming everything else stays constant. So kind of think about it as a pool. If you're taking water out of one area and dumping it in the other area, it has no effect on the, it's still the same amount of water, but this isn't a great example, but in theory, the, the, you know, part of the, you know, the water is less deep in one area, more deep in the other, even though that's not how it works, but <laughs> we get, we get the example. <laughs> you get the drift. Well, I think the football, I think the football team is a better example. You know, you, you substitute, you take one player off the field, put one player on the field, but it's always 11 players, right? Right. Right. So, so uh, well, look, it, we, we got to go to a break. I want to come back. I, I do want to sw- pick up on this conversation on the other side because there's another interesting aspect of, you know, yield on cash and its impact on a specific area of the bond market that is an interesting shift considering what investors were paying for just a couple of years ago in the bond market. And they're now they're not willing to do that. So uh, make sure you get by the website. Like I said earlier, um, also check out our platform, our research platform, simplevisor.com. We're constantly adding new research tools to that from our relative rotation analysis to absolute analysis. A lot of stuff that we're building on to that side as well. That's at simplevisor.com. Um, also, make sure and tune into today's um, coming up lunch and learn on how to raise money smart kids. I make jokes about it, but... Um, you know, the one thing that we don't do well enough is teach our kids how to manage their money. And the mistakes that they that they make early in life can have a very big impact on them long term. So if we can avoid some of those mistakes early, they can be more successful later. That's today at noon. So go by our website and subscribe. We'll send you a link for the for the Zoom video and we'll take care of you. All right, be right back after the break and talk about bond investors and yield and what investors are eschewing today. Be right back. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors too. But raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you. Our next RIA Lunch and Learn will dwell upon this topic because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets. Join Ratliff and Rosso February 23rd for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. 
All right, Dow futures coming down a little bit this morning, softening here just a little bit as we start to approach the open. Dow's up about 89 points. Uh, oil price is up about a buck, uh, about 1.1% this morning as well after a bit of a clubbing yesterday. So, um, you know, again, just kind of a rotation of the market. So, but just for the break, you know, it's just kind of concluding with this conversation, interesting changes to the markets. And, you know, the Federal Reserve is, as we were saying, is hiking rates, and now there's an alternative to investing, which is 5% yields on one-year treasuries and 4% plus yields on money market accounts. And, you know, so why take the risk? And this is something that we had talked about previously um, in 2020, in particular 2021, that investors were piling into junk bonds. And, you know, Mike was talking about a second ago that if you look at investment grade corporates right now, you can get above 5% on what we call money good bonds. These are companies that aren't going out of business, Microsoft, Apple, those type of thing, companies, right? Companies that have huge cash balances. They're going to pay their debt. And the, the, and so the, the bonds are, are good, right? They're going to get paid. And, and those yields, you can get five, five and a quarter, five and a half percent. Well, it's been interesting this year that, you know, as these rates have come up, what we were talking about in 2020, 2021 is that people were piling into to junk bond debt and only to get a marginal degree of yield increase over an investment grade bond. And the risk that people were taking at that point just to get that little bit of additional yield really didn't make any sense. But because of all the stimulus and the Fed buying junk bonds, et cetera, there, there was deemed to be no risk. And so, in other words, when you're, when, you're, when you're buying junk debt, right, what you're betting on, and this is, this is how the yield on a bond works. Brent Clanton is a terrible credit, right? He never pays his bills. He's always late. And he comes to you and says, I want to borrow money. And so say, yeah, I'll lend it to you. Now, are you going to lend that to him at basically 3% on your money when your risk of him defaulting is a lot more? No, that's why high yield typically yields 7, 8, 9, 10%. The goal is the yield is higher to offset that risk of default and non-payment. But investors were basically just ignoring that whole risk of bankruptcy because of what was going on in the markets, and they were, they were, they were not getting paid for the risk that they were taking. Now, to, and Mike, to, to the, the point here, what is interesting now because of 5% yields on very safe investments, right, money flows have been coming out of high yield and going into investment-grade right. bonds. So for the first time, people are going, hey, you know what, I can get paid and have safety. That's a much better deal than getting paid for risk. Right. I mean, Lance, we haven't seen this environment in such a long time where, where risk-free is becoming more and more of a no-brainer. Yep. It, whether you're talking about bonds, stocks, houses, you name it. Um, and, you know, again, every day this rates are here, more and more people are going to get the joke. <laughs> and they're going to move some money, all money, whatever it is. And you're going to see rotations into bonds. And the Fed is fostering that environment. The Fed wants that because when they pull money out of speculative assets, it it tightens up financial conditions and it gets their inflation down. Mm -hmm. And that's all the Fed is focused on right now is inflation. The Fed is scared to death that we get a rebound of inflation. And, you know, rightfully so. You know, whether that's 
truly going to happen or not, we don't know. But the Fed is going to keep their keep a lid on the risk markets. And again, by risk, we don't mean just stocks or or tech stocks or high flying stocks. We mean stocks, all stocks and credit, you know, junk bonds, even some better credit, non junk bonds. Um, the whole spectrum of risk assets is, you know, keep being under the watchful eye of the Fed right now. That's right. Um, you know, and again, this is this is all part. And, and again, Mike has talked about this before, and, and we've discussed it before here on the show. Is that, you know, what the Fed wants ideally is a controlled burn of asset prices, and they want. They even mentioned, um, you know, in the minutes that you know valuations are high, and this is something right. they've mentioned before. And so, for and the Fed's best position is to have a control burn of asset prices, get that down in the markets. Uh, again, reduce that consumer demand in the economy. That'll help bring down inflation, which is their goal. And then they can revert back to whatever they need to do to try to boost economic growth again at some point. So, you know, you know, the big problem is that the markets aren't paying attention and the, the feds being very clear is that this is what they want to get done and and you know mike i think the thing that markets are missing is that you know the as you said earlier the fed's going to win this battle at some point and the only question is is do they actually wind up just getting a controlled burn or what history says is that usually they wind up breaking something and and the question is is what would they break if they wind up breaking something Risky assets. Yeah. But here's the here's the kind of conundrum. When you say that the markets aren't aren't really pricing in what the Fed's saying they're gonna do, mm -hmm. some markets are. Right? The bond markets are now priced for Fed funds going up to roughly five and a quarter and staying there all year. So, you know, we can imply what the market thinks Fed funds will be because there are Fed funds futures that trade for every month going out a few years. So we know the bond markets are priced for what the Fed is saying they're going to do. That makes it harder. When when it's the Fed against all investors, place your bets, pick a side, do that kind of thing. But but investors are split and they're diverging. Bond investors and stock investors have a different view. Now stocks over the last couple of weeks have come down. So so we can certainly argue that they're coming around to the Fed view. But the Fed view has changed pretty markedly over the last a month, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone was waiting for pivot not that long ago. You go back to January and the question was, okay, they're going to do one more in, what was it, February 1st, and then they're going to pivot or they're going to stall and pivot by June. We were talking about, the market was pricing in 50 basis points of rate cuts starting, yeah, bringing rates down to four and a half percent in June, which is four months away from now. Now there's talk that the Fed will keep hiking rates through June and then keep them at that high level for the year. And I, the, the stock market really hasn't absorbed that yet. And the question is, how will it absorb it? Uh, and what's going to happen with the economy inflation? If the economy just slowly starts fading, the market may actually get confident that, they, that they've achieved a soft landing, which is probably, in my opinion, the best scenario we can hope for at this point. There's, you know, there's the crash landing, the soft landing, and the no landing. I'm, I'm writing an article for next Wednesday on the no landing scenario, and that virtually, you're basically saying cycles don't exist. Cycles exist, and 
there will be a landing. The Fed is guaranteeing you there's a landing by raising rates to doing what they've done. It's a question of when does that landing occur and how hard is that landing? And the longer the Fed has to stay engaged with higher rates, the odds favor more of the crash landing, hard landing versus a soft landing. And, you know, again, Lance and I go on and on about these lags. And that's the scary part is that you have this pent up energy that's really pushing down on the economy. But there are other factors such as all the stimulus and the, the consumer mindset that are that are kind of countering it and thus far keeping the economy in good shape, keeping employment in good shape. But that can give away pretty quickly. And for that reason, I think, you know, investors need to be concerned about the, the landing somewhere between soft and hard, not not have these optimistic views that that everything's just going to resolve itself because the Fed has never raised interest rates to this degree and had a happy ending. And that there's more debt today than there ever was. So the odds of it happening this time are even less than any other time. And that that is the real risk. All right. Sorry, well, sorry to end on such a yeah, uh, no, right, sour right, note. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, you know, again, but this is the conundrum, right? Markets are doing fine. And be careful. And in the end, look, you know, what we're talking about this morning is risk. And, you know, that's an important thing to consider. It doesn't mean that the market, again, you know, right. don't walk away from this conversation thinking the markets are going to crash tomorrow and you need to be all in cash and go sell everything and buy treasuries. That's not what we're saying. Um, even in a slower market environment, there's going to be stocks that perform well. There's going to be opportunities to make money. You know, it's just understanding the risk that you're taking in the markets and, and how you can offset some of that. Look, this is why we have a huge position in BIL in our, in our portfolios, because you're, we're, get, we're picking up over a 4%, almost a 5% yield on that without having to take any risk for clients. And so, you know, there's opportunities where the portfolio can make money without actually having to do much of anything. But then we can still have some risk assets on the books that can help make money, you know, as markets go through this process as well. So, uh, so again, it's just, you know, again, a good example, you know, what we're talking about today and NVIDIA is up 100% from the lows. It's going to be up 8% this morning when the market opens. So, you know, again, there's, there's assets that, that can perform in any environment, and we just have to be aware of that. So don't take this conversation away from this and go, oh, Mike and Lance said to be all in cash. That's not what we're saying, right? right. We're just pointing out the risk of what's happening. All right, Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, be sure you're by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, subscribe to our weekly newsletter right there on the homepage. Our daily market commentary comes out every morning precisely at 730. Gets emailed to your inbox as a market trading update, some notes on the markets, what's going on with the Fed. Everything's quick read, about three minutes. Earnings, economic data that's coming out. Just kind of give you a quick prep for what's happening for the day. Uh, that comes to your email box. Just subscribe at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, make sure you also subscribe to our three minutes, uh, which is now called Before the Bell. That's our video that comes out every morning as well about the market, where we're trading, support levels, what to look for for the day, what the risks are. That's every morning that we put that out as well. So it's all on the website. It's all free. Make sure you're subscribed and signed up there. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday with Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso. Don't go without see you then.